Hello, this is Jackson. On this episode of the podcast, we talk with the stars of the Fringe show, Aphrodite's Refugee. Let's be artful. Hello, I am here with the people who are performing Aphrodite's Refugee. So quickly, introduce yourselves. I'm Monica Dionisiu. And I'm Aaron Young. And um, I got to see the performance, oh my goodness, was that yesterday? Two oh. days ago? Oh, two days ago. Two days ago. We're on fringe time. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Yeah, all the all the days are starting to blur together. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I, I thought, you know, you. I, I, I didn't know what to expect going into it because I didn't know much about it. Um, and your show begins with an introduction that you saw an exhibit um, mm-hmm. uh, that dealt with refugees. And I was wondering if you could just ex- describe that experience that you had. Yeah, I would love to. Um, I had been thinking about doing this show and I went to, I I was just driving around, I was going to work and I heard on NPR that Doctors Without Borders had this event taking place in Boulder and so I quickly changed all my plans and went right to it (laughs) pretty much and um, it was an hour experience and it started with a like a 360 film at a refugee camp and I I walked into this big dome where the film was happening and I was just turning around and getting this I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little choked up while I'm talking about it but I just had this sense of actually being there yeah and really feeling the it was on dirt and I could feel feel the dirt under my feet and I I just started hearing and I, I say this in my show I started hearing the voices of my family yeah and they were telling me their story as I was going through this. And the first thing we did after we watched this film was we chose five items to take with us. And they had a big board with all of these different options. And, um, and slowly, as you go through the experience, you start using those as collateral to sell things yeah. like water and medicine. And I, I, was so, I felt so moved. I was, by the end of the of the event I felt like I wanted to just get rid of everything and go join Doctors Without Borders and be a volunteer yeah. and I I actually really thought about it for a little while and then quickly realized well I have I have stories I have humanizing real life stories of experiences that these folks are going through all over the world and um, we live in a place where we don't see that and yeah. I wanted to share it and so the stories that you um, told, I wasn't I wasn't clear at the very end. But mm-hmm. were they your were they a part of your family? Yes, yes, it is my family. It's gotcha. Um, the main character of the show, Coco, is my father. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. See, I, I I thought I I thought I I thought I got that. I just wanted <laughs> to make sure. Um. So having to put that into a theatrical piece. Mm-hmm. What was what what was the process like, and what were the challenges of using stories that you're very knowledgeable about, but having to put it in an artistic uh, point of view? It was challenging, certainly. Um, I realized that I was never going to be able to write this, and so I contacted my father. And I asked him if it would be okay if I interviewed him and if I recorded the interviews, and I did. And it was 
the first time in my life that I had heard all of those stories told linearly and oh, together. Oh, gotcha. Okay. He had sort of always told me random stories, just like anybody would do. They just happened to be at a refugee camp, and they happened to be happening during a war. And uh, this time, when I sat down with him, it was about two and a half hours long, and he told me this whole story beginning to end. And, of course, my father doesn't... English isn't his first language, and yeah. he has a good grasp on it for conversation, but he's not a terribly poetic person. Sure. <laughs> so Aaron's laughing over there. <laughs> um, but he has a very poetic soul. Yeah. And so I transcribed all of the conversation that we had, and I kind of edited the stories together so that they were... Um, full stories really trying to tell the story he wanted to tell if he had the language to be able to do it. Sure. And so then I interviewed his siblings as well and they all have varying levels of English. So one of my aunts doesn't speak any English at all. She's represented in the show was, too. Was that the recording that we yes. kept on hearing? Yes. Okay, because the first time that happened, I went, what's going on? And <laughs> and I, real, I'm, I, I think I about... At the very end, while it, it was still going on, I was like, oh, this must be an actual recording from someone that was there. And that hit me really hard mm. all at once. And um, and that's when you started going and uh, started saying that uh, your father was the person that you were portraying the entire time. Yeah. Um, and that was very powerful. Um, and so with all that being said, and the, the story is about a refugee family that is traveling through, you know, war times in uh, Cyprus, right? Cyprus, yes. Okay. Um, and so where did that turn into the idea of Aphrodite and Ares mm. playing cards? Because I thought that was a really interesting concept. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, cards have been a part of my family for as long as I can remember. We play cards all the time. I played, it was one of the things that I did with my grandfather he didn't speak any English, but we were very, very close regardless, and we played cards all the time. And and um, it's something that people do there to pass the time, especially yeah. when they were in the waiting period during, mm -hmm. during the wars. They had nothing to do. And that was actually a part of the story as well. Right. They would play cards to kind of pass the time. And I was thinking about my relationship to Greece being an American person growing. Yeah. I, I'm the only member of my family who is American and grew up uh, aside from my father, but um, I'm the only one who grew up here. Okay. And uh, so my connection to the ancient world that they sort of live in every day is the stories of the Greek gods. And I've always been attracted to those stories and particularly to Aphrodite because of her connection to the island. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, they're in a way these deities that people stopped believing in. So they don't have anything to do. They don't have any jobs. <laughs> we let their temples kind of get crumbled, so they yeah. don't even have any place to live. If these deities were real, what would they be doing with their time? And I, all I could see was them playing a game of cards. <laughs> I love it, that. Thank you. It, that's, a really, that's a really great parallel, now that you've said that. <laughs> I really do like that. Thank you. Um, and so, going into... Aaron's part, because mm -hmm. um, he also performs. You yes. are the voice. He is the art. Yes, um, he is. It's, <laughs> it's interdisciplinary, which now I know how to say that word. <laughs> um, so as the story is going on, 
there's two things that are happening. One is um, projections on a really thin canvas mm-hmm. that are... It's actually paper. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're beautiful. I actually mistakenly thought that you were painting the first one and... Good. <laughs> and, and then it started moving. I was like, oh, wait, hold on. Um, but at the same time, you're creating a landscape mural, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you describe that? And what do you think the hardest part is creating that as the story is going on? Yeah. Um, I would say that I think the hardest challenge in it is the timing and the speed. You know, sure. I'm, I've, I'm an oil painter. I'm a fine artist by trade and um, a documentary filmmaker and amongst other things, but I've never been a watercolor painter. Okay. Um, I did a few watercolors in college and never, it's just a hard medium to work with. It's not very forgiving. Yeah. um, You have to work with the looseness of it. And so I've never been a watercolor painter, but I've also never been a landscape painter, mostly figurative and abstract works. So in this show, I'm speed painting watercolor landscapes. And uh, it's the perfect opposite of what you do. (laughs) Yeah, but I love a good challenge. And I've had a lot of fun developing new techniques um, to really make the painting come alive and let it live on its own when the brush isn't touching the paper. Um, And I've been playing a lot with the bleeds and drips and and having the colors come out and also how those gel with the animations. Um, And so I think the, the hardest part of it is the timing. It's an hour-long show, maybe 55 minutes, 55. and I paint for 13 of those minutes. Wow. Yeah, so the painting is there the whole time. but And it's not small. I mean, no, this, is, this uh, is multiple 100, pages. 100 inches by 30 inches, so wow. it's pretty long. That's, um, that's crazy. And sometimes if, when we were practicing, if we accidentally made it too long, I would not be able to finish the painting. <laughs> It'd just oh. be half done because just another foot, and I don't have enough time to yeah. to get it all in. So, it's been great. Um, the challenges in it of trying to paint quickly and put everything in the right place, and and have the brushwork and and the movement and the painting correspond and um, kind of complement the story has been challenging too. Yeah. Um, and I feel like every time we do the show, I f- discover something new. And so uh, even just this run this week, I've developed new techniques um, and had made discoveries that I didn't expect going into it. Um, and so you guys are in uh, the Art Academy building. Yes, we are. And so. What are the challenges of doing that type of show in that space? There's, a, there's certainly challenges. I will say I love the space, actually. <laughs> oh, good. I really love it. It, it. I mean, it's a visual art piece, and to be in a visual art studio seems really appropriate. Oh, true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also nice because we don't have to be as scared of... Yeah, I can make a mess. <laughs> yeah. And it's okay. <laughs> There's already paint on the floor. We don't have to claim that we did it. Um, but uh, actually, Aaron's a very neat painter. I'm not worried about that at all. But um, unfortunately, we did lose our air conditioner. Yeah. So the movement of the air is not as 
uh, fluid as I'd like sure. it to be. <laughs> and uh, it gets very hot on stage and it gets hot for the audience as well. Um, and the show is, it's not slow, but it emerges from beginning to end. It, yeah. it doesn't, there's a lot of shows that are, you know, they're very high energy right at the very beginning. And this one sort of creeps into that. And so to have such a hot space where you sort of feel cozy, you get a little bit sleepy, that's been a little challenging. Sure, <laughs> sure. keeping energy. Um, but all in all, I've really enjoyed having an intimate space to share this story. Yeah, and I think uh, viewing it, I think it also helps because mm -hmm. you're right next to the painting. I mean, I was just a couple feet away. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Now, kind of going back to the process of creating the show and rehearsing it and, you know, getting it ready for presentation, which came first, the idea to do the art, the card game, the story, mm. and, and, how, and at what point did each of those enter the process? Ooh, I don't even know anymore. Uh, I think... Do you remember? I think your idea of using art probably predates the story. I think that's true. I, I've always loved visual art and have always wished that I could do it myself. <laughs> um, well, let's say. I, of course, can do it. Um, but I have always wanted to have art, an artifact be created on stage. I think there's something really beautiful to having nothing at the beginning of a show and having something beautiful at the end of it. I completely agree. Thank you. Thank you. And so that that had always sort of been sitting there. And then um, Aaron and I are partners in uh, not just art, but also life and maybe a little crime. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I was watching him paint and thinking, wow, I, this is really the right time to put these two elements together. I have a willing participant, or seemingly so, and uh, <laughs> and an opportunity to share this yeah. story. So, What do you think the hardest thing working together on this project has been? Oh I'll man, the look, the look you two just gave each other. <laughs> that, was, that, was a, that was a glare I've never seen. Uh, the hardest thing, you know, so outside of, outside of fine arts and painting and everything. I'm also a burlesque dancer okay. in Boulder, Colorado. And I've been dancing for a few years and I've got a little bit of a reputation there. Um, and people will recognize me in the street and, um, and I'm new to the fringe world. I'm new to, to theater, um, although not all that new to performance. But um, for me, I'm having to temper my ego a little bit because... I'm behind, I, I'm I'm behind a curtain. I'm behind the paper. Sure. I, yeah. I, all you see of me is my shadow, and you know that I come out at the that, end. That's a really interesting so. position to be in because, although you are creating something that everyone has seen, you yourself are not really getting recognition until the very end. Yeah, it's a good practice for me in uh, humility. Yeah. Yes. And um, I and then we I have love the, being then here we have doing the star this. of the show over exactly. here. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. But it's funny because I actually don't think I'm the star of the show. I really think the painting is the star of the show. I've that's, been saying, that's really interesting. I've been saying this whole time that, like, 
Aaron's kind of saving me. I could get up there and I could be the worst performer I've ever been. And I think the show would still be really beautiful and stunning because of what's being made. And um, so I appreciate that. But I, it's funny that we kind of have similar um, views in opposite ways. Right. Yeah, I like that. Right. It, it's like the perfect compliment. <laughs> Thank you. It works well. Um, so uh, the last question I have is, um, well, it's kind of two parts. Um, you said that you uh, guys are going to be donating part of your um, uh, box office to yes. Doctors Without Borders. Yes. Which, yeah. first of all, I applaud you for doing that. Thank I mean, you. it's a wonderful organization. I agree. Um, and so, apart from wanting the audience to maybe donate some of their uh, resources to be able to help them as well, mm -hmm. what do you hope that the audience takes away from the show or just the general experience that they got to go through with your performance? Thank you for asking this question. I appreciate it. Um, I, I think in the last few years, we've seen this incredible rise in the refugee population in the world. And we've heard so much about it to the point where we don't, they've become a category. Yeah. The, these folks have become a category of people. And in our country, as well as many other countries in Europe, we put there and we don't look behind. Sure. And. I see this happening culturally, politically, socially around the world. And I know from personal life experience that each one of those people have a story and a history that is something that I cannot even imagine. Yeah. And in, in taking on my family's stories and putting them in my body and speaking them out of my mouth, and being live in front of you, in front of the hundred people who came to see the show over the course of the Cincy Fringe, that, that they have now heard the story of a real life refugee right in front of them. I carry yeah. those stories, I carry that history inside me. And, um, and my hope is that the next time somebody meet somebody who's a refugee or discovers that or hears about a, a category of people who are coming near them, that they'll stop and say, what happened? Are you okay? Yeah. How can I help you? How can I be your neighbor? And um, that's really my hope is that even if it's just a couple people, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, want, I, I want that to be the change that's made in the yeah. world. Well, I mean, that message is very clear in the uh, performance that you guys do and the show is great um, I highly suggest if you do have a chance to go see it go see it are you guys going to be performing at any uh, other places around the country or yes we are going next to the Capitol Fringe Festival in DC and then we'll go to the Minneapolis Fringe the St. Louis Fringe and the Indianapolis Fringe. I'm originally from Indianapolis. So oh, that's yay. Awesome. Well, tell your friends. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, so uh, thank you so much. Uh, I mean, it was a really powerful uh, performance and a great experience to be able to see the show. Um, and thank you for presenting it. It really was fantastic. Thank you. I'm very grateful. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you.
thank you guys so much for being able to talk with me. It was wonderful to see your show, and I really do wish you luck um, for the next Fringe festivals that you're going to. Shout out to the Indianapolis Fringe. Make sure to go. And that is about it for this episode of the podcast. Make sure to listen back on all of the interviews we've been able to do with the Fringe artists and the Fringe audiences. Because as of this episode, we are totally out of Fringe content. I know, I know, it's sad. But we were able to talk to 11 different shows and four different audience members with our Trial of the Artful Thoughts. The Fringe Festival has given us an amazing opportunity to test material, to be able to record with amazing people who have come to Cincinnati, and to just be able to enjoy the Fringe Festival the past two weeks. Shout out to Chris Wesselman for making all of this possible and giving us the flexibility to be able to record as we see fit. Um, that is it for this episode of the podcast. This has been Jackson. These have been the Fringe Interviews. And remember, have an artful day. Have an artful day.